Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Man, thank God for His holy written word that gives us a revelation of everything that song said. Amen. Praise God. We're talking about living by faith. That's been the message. This is lesson four, I believe. And as an introduction, just let me just share a few things that we shared with you. We're talking about the importance of faith in the life of a believer and the impact that it has upon his life and the place that it holds in the life of a believer. We shared some truths such as we know that without faith we can't please God, it's impossible. But we also know that faith originates with God. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So it begins with Him, not someone else. We also said that faith does what God says to do. Remember John chapter 2 and verse 5 when Mary said, whatever He says to do, do it. So faith is responding to what God says to do. And then thirdly, another important thing is, faith says what God says to say. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, the latter part of 5, that says, He hath said, that's speaking of God, God hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say, the Lord's my helper, and I will not fear what man should do unto me. So we can say what he said. So what we say must be rooted in what God said. If God didn't say it, then we can't have faith for it. So it's important we know what the Word says, know what God said, and also by His Spirit, if He tells us to do certain things, we can do that as well. But faith originates with God, not with us. We talked about how Lucifer, Eve, and Cain all thought they could do it their way, didn't they? And they couldn't. They found out no matter how much they tried to manufacture their own faith and belief system, it wouldn't prevail. Well, we're going to continue our study on faith, but today, since we're celebrating the Lord's Supper... I want to talk about celebrating this supper by faith. You know, people can do this very ritualistically and not even really give attention to it and just as a habit do it. Or we can really do it by faith. And our motivation? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's begin reading at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, not his neighbor, himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. That's a pretty good motivation, wouldn't you agree? A powerful motivation. We want to make sure that we are celebrating by faith and in faith. Which means what? Doing it the way that God said to do it. And not doing it our own way. So, 
We're going to study in the book of 1 Corinthians the instructions that were given the Apostle Paul by Jesus himself to let us know how to properly celebrate the Lord's Supper. But before that, I want to point something else out. Our God, look, first, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus set up this memorial because our God is a jealous God. He wants our fellowship. He wants us to be one with Him in every area of our lives. And He wants us to commit ourselves completely to Him. And we're going to show how jealousy in just a moment is not a bad thing. But first, look at these verses. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here he sets up his own memorial. And a memorial is important because what does it do? It causes us to remember some of the things that people have done to, let's say, enable us to experience a better quality of life. People have made contributions, given of themselves completely, so that you and I, for example, could enjoy freedom that we have here. There were those that sacrificed their lives at war. In Washington, D.C. alone, we have many memorials that are set up to celebrate those that, have gave, that gave their lives for us. You have also, for example, the uh, American Civil War. Um, there were those that gave their lives. We have the African American Civil War Museum that's been set up. And what it does, it lists 209,145 United States Colored Troops, the USCT, that set up to remind us of the lives that gave themselves so that we can have the freedoms that we enjoy. And then, of course, you've got the Washington Memorial. You've got the Jefferson Memorial. You've got the Roosevelt Memorial. We have the Lincoln Memorial. Have you been there to see the Lincoln Memorial? Uh, we've got Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial set up. We've got the uh, United States Holocaust Memorial that's set up a museum to remind us of certain events that take place in, in, in life. And then also many others. I mean, you think, think about this. You've got, you've got the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. We saw that. And it's reminding us that here we may not know who this person was, but that person sacrificed their life so we can have freedom. And we remember these things because they should impact our lives. And then when you think about the fact that the greatest person who ever lived and the greatest contribution ever made to society and human life, to the world, was Jesus. And rather than setting up a memorial, we hear about how many want to remove him from our schools and from our government and from our society. That's pretty sad when you can go to Minneapolis, Minnesota and see erected a memorial of Mary Tyler Moore. And as sweet as she was and as much good as she did in her field. But what about Jesus? What about him? He set up his own memorial supper. No wonder why he did that. So that we would never, never forget what he did, the sacrifice that he made. And even though the world may not want to hear it or see it, we do. We want to celebrate it, don't we? Amen. So, 
before we get into the instructions, our God is a jealous God. Look at Exodus chapter 34. Our God is a jealous God. Verse 12. Take, this is important to look at because we know that God reveals himself by his name, right? Jehovah Sikhanu, our righteousness, just shalom, our peace, and so on. Listen, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Wait a minute. When we think about jealousy, we connect that with sin, don't we? How can his name be jealous? How can he be a jealous God? Well, is anger a sin? The scripture says, be angry and sin not. So anger is not a sin, is it? It's not wrong to be angry. angry. It's wrong to sin. It depends on the context in which the word is used. When God says he's a jealous God, well, let me ask you this question. If you saw your husband flirting with some girl, would you be a little bit jealous? If you saw your wife flirting with some guy, would you be jealous? Well, when God sees his people flirting with idols, he is jealous. He's a jealous God. Now keep that in mind as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. Look what it says. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from what? Idolatry. Now wait a minute. The previous verses, the first 12, 13 verses, talk about Israel coming out of Egypt, going into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, what did they do? They built themselves a molten calf. And they performed what? Idolatry. Did they not? Was God angry? Was God jealous? Did he tell Moses, get down there and those people you brought out of Egypt, make sure that you get on them and tell them? And he said, no, they're your people, not mine. Remember that? Yeah, God was so angry. Why? Because they were committing spiritual adultery. He views idolatry as spiritual adultery. And so he was jealous and he was upset and he was angry. He wanted to disown them. So let's read on. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Now notice he talks about three things. He's talking about Christian communion, the Lord's Supper, the Passover, and also partaking of sacrifices offered to idols. So let's read it. I speak as to wise. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So in other words, when you celebrate communion of the Lord's Supper, there's an actual participation by faith into the very life of Christ. Can we see that? Well, then he goes on to say, Behold, Israel after the flesh. What does he mean by that? Unregenerate Israel. He's talking about unregenerate Israel now. They celebrate the Passover. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? 
So there is also participation in the life of God in this act of the Passover, but not in full. Only in Christ is it full. So they couldn't do that fully, only partially. And then the third thing he was going to say, what say I then? That the, this, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to what? Our God is a jealous God. Are we stronger than He? So what's He doing? What's He giving an example after example saying, look, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're partaking of Christ Himself. And by faith, you're receiving that very divine life that liberates you from sin and sickness and disease and so on and so forth. When you participate in the Passover, there's a participation in the life. Now, it's a sacrificial animal that can never take away sins, but you're still participating. And now when you participate, apparently the Corinthians, you know, they, they were carnal. Let's admit it. Paul called them carnal. They were, some of them were going to the, celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then they were going and involved themselves in participating in what? Some of these rituals where they're eating food offered to idols. He said, look, you're, you're basically partaking of demons. You hope you're exposing yourself to demons when you do that. He said, so you're not to do that. Now, with that in mind, as a backdrop, somewhat of a foundation, let's follow what he taught them about the instructions when it comes to celebrating the Lord's Supper. Why? Because too often, see, we don't do this every week. Because sometimes if you do it every week, some do it every day. As long as you have your head on straight and you're doing it by faith, it's okay. But if you get into a ritual and all it's just another practice, and we just do it and we just do it, without a full understanding of the depth of meaning, then you're not going to be doing it in faith. And we want to do it in faith the way God said to do it. Faith is doing it the way God said to do it. So let's look at our scriptures, 1 Corinthians and chapter 11, because this is where he gave instruction with regard to the Lord's Supper. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Wait a minute. They were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but he says, you're not doing it for the better, you're doing it for the worse. What was the worse? Well, the worse was, if you do it unworthily, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. And so, God takes this seriously. And I know, I know I don't teach on this every time we have the Lord's Supper, but I believe we need to do it quite often to really remind us of how seriously He takes this Supper, this memorial that reminds us of our Savior and what He did for us. We need to constantly be reminded of these things. Okay, So, He said, look, you're not coming for the better, but you're coming for the worse. But look at the next verse, verses 18 and 19, what He says. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and partly I believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now notice, if you recall, way back in chapter 3, he said, look, you're carnal. As long as there's divisions among you, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas or Peter. There's divisions, there's sex schisms or schisms among you. In other words, there's cliques and factions among you. 
How many of you know that in heaven there are no Bob Baptists? Or Mary Methodists? Or Carl uh, Catholics? Or Peter Presbyterians? Or even Paul Pentecostals? No, in heaven there's the blood-bought church of the redeemed who've been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. He doesn't say, welcome to heaven. Oh, you're a Baptist? Over there. Uh, you're a Catholic? Over there. And you, you're a Pentecostal? There. And so on. No. But you see, there were divisions among them. Oh, I believe the way Cephas does. And Paul is the one that I follow. And I follow uh, Apollos and who knows who else. But obviously with the, with the factions, there were also, he said, it's heresies that are there. Look at the next verse, what he tells them. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Uh, in other words, he is saying to them, you're not actually coming to participate in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. You're basically here doing your own thing. Actually, another translation, I think, the Bible actually says that you're coming together not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're coming together basically to do what you want to do the way you want to do it. Now let's go back and review who else did that. Lucifer did what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. Eve did what she wanted to do the way she wanted to do it. And Cain did what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. And these Corinthians were doing what they wanted to do the way they wanted to do it. In other words, they're going to do it their way. Well, how many know there's only one way? And it's God's way. This is his memorial, not ours. And the way he says to do it is the way we should do it. We should follow it. Now, they were all guilty of other things. Like Cain was guilty of doing it his way and not God's way. His sacrifice wasn't accepted. But these people were guilty of what? They were guilty of doing it their way, not God's way. Promoting their will and their desire. They had people over here that were poor, people over there that were rich, and they came to, together, and those that were rich brought themselves lasagna, and steak, and shrimp, lobster, and the poor had oatmeal, Cheerios, shredded wheat, you know. And, and this was going on in the church and they were over there having themselves this big old party celebrating with all this food. And if I remember correctly, he said, and some of you get drunk. Well, the other ones over there that had pittance, they had a little bit to eat. They could hardly even bring it. They could hardly celebrate. He said, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. Man, you're doing your own thing. You're not remembering Christ or his body. You're not concerned about one another and seeing to it that you meet the needs of each other. Because you see, the body of Christ involves everyone. All of us. We're all one in the Lord, right? He said, but that's not what you're concerned about. You just want to come, come together, do your own thing, eat as much as you want, drink as much as you want, and be happy. He said, that's not the Lord's Supper. Look at the next. It's not the Lord's Supper. That's not how it's to be done. For in eating, everyone takes before his own supper, and one is hungry, another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. 
So you see, he was instructing them, you're not doing it right. Now remember, Paul was not there when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Jesus appeared to him and taught him what he's teaching them and what he's teaching us. This is my memorial supper and this is how I want it to be done. So tell them this is how you do it. And if you'll do it the right way, it'll bless you. If you do it the wrong way, it'll bring judgment upon you. So make sure that every time you do it, you do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Look out for the interest of every person involved. See to, see to it that you care for one another. And then remember the things I've done for you, past, present, and future. So let's look at the next verse and see what he said. I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now notice he received this instruction from the Lord himself. And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Okay, now here's the memorial. It's established. It's set up. When we partake of this celebration by faith, we are receiving from our Lord all that this new covenant represents. All that he lived for, all that he died for, and all that he rose again for. It all belongs to each and every one of us. And as we partake of this, we are to remember him. Draw him close to our thinking. Really take the time to think things through. Why are we doing this? Why are we celebrating this? What is this reminding me of? What does this memorial mean to me? In full detail. Because he's going to tell them, make sure you examine yourself in full detail. I partake of the body and the blood. Not, carnivorous, not carnivorously. These are symbols, these are emblems of the body and blood of Christ. It's by faith that makes it active. Our faith in believing His blood was shed for the remission of my sin. His body was broken for my physical well-being and mental well-being. He became what I should have become. He took upon Himself what I should have taken. He paid the price that I should have paid. And because of what He did for me, praise God, I am free. I can now say, I am what the Word says I am. I can say, I have what this covenant mill says I have. I should say, I can do what this covenant mill says I can do. And I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. I can say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Because even though I may not understand it, I can believe it because he said it. I can say it because God had said, he made him sin for me who knew no sin to make me the righteousness of of God in Christ. I can say that because that's what this mill says. That's what he said to me. And that's what he said to you. I can say I'm a world overcomer by my faith. I can say I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Why? 
because of this mill right here. Because of what we're about to celebrate right here. Look at the next verse, verse 27. We need to remember everything, past, present, and future, his life represents and what it means. See, right here in this celebration, we have the past. He died for us. We have the present. He's living for us, ever making intercession for all of us. He's coming again for us. So we see past, present, and future effect of his life as far as humanity is concerned. There's never been a person born in this world will not be affected by the life of Christ one way or another. And if you think about the future, I don't know about you, but we keep hearing it said, He's coming soon. He's coming soon. He's coming again soon. And we know that He is. And prayerfully will be in our lifetime. But if not, it doesn't matter because when you leave this realm of life, you're going to go be with Him in glory. Amen. Okay, look at verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be, what's that word? Guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Guilty. Just as Cain was guilty, just as Lucifer was guilty, just as Eve was guilty, and many others guilty, if we do it unworthily. What does unworthily mean? Does it mean I'm not worthy? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Everyone that's born again is worthy. We're all worthy to celebrate it. But if we celebrate it haphazardly, without really recognizing what it represents and what it means, or if we're doing things that we should not be doing, engaging ourselves in things we shouldn't be engaged in, if we're living in sin, and so on and so forth, and we celebrate, we need to really examine our hearts and our lives, because what does this mean? How does this affect me and my life today? Thank God one day I was saved, but when I got saved, I changed. I was no longer the same person that I used to be after I gave my heart to Jesus. I was religious for 24 years in my life, sitting in a pew like you're sitting there right now. And for those first 24 years of my life, I didn't even know what it was about. I said the right thing in church because I was told to say the right thing. But you know, one day it hit me square between the eyes and the ears when someone told me, you must be born again. And when I heard that and I found out what it meant, I gave my heart to Jesus. And guess what? What religion couldn't do for me for 24 years... The moment I gave my heart to Jesus, I was changed from the inside out. And praise God, I just began to continue changing from glory to glory, from faith to faith. As I studied the Word of God and learned about the things of God, I was a completely changed person from the inside out. And that's what the grace of God teaches us. We don't just say, I'm saved and live the way we want to live. We get saved, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus in the regeneration of the Son of Man. Can you say amen? Absolutely. So to, to, to celebrate in an unworthy, unworthily means in an unworthy manner, with disrespect and no regard for who He is and what He's done for us. And so it's important that we recognize that. And look at the next. Verse 28. So let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Why does he say to examine himself? In other words, he says to inspect yourself completely. Even let the Lord shine the light of his scrutiny upon our lives to examine ourselves. He is saying, look, this is a very serious celebration. And it's important that we do it every so often so we can remind ourselves the sacrifice that was made for us to have the status of sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
Aren't you glad you're a child of God? Aren't you glad you, you have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Aren't you glad that heaven is your final destination and one day you're going to be with Him in glory? Hallelujah. Thank God that we know our final destination. But it's all because of this. And this teaches us to live the life that He wants us to live. Why? Because we represent Him here upon this earth. You say, but I don't know that I can uh, successfully do that. Oh, contrary to what you say. He that saved you has grace for you. He has mercy for you. So if you fall along the way, there's mercy. When you get up, he gives you grace to empower you to take the next step. And if you fall again, there's mercy. And you get up again, and there's grace to help you to the next step. And you fall again, there's mercy. And you get up, and the grace of God is manifested to enable us to do what He has called us to do. We can do what He said we can do. Why? He gives us the grace to do it. Amen? Isn't that good to know? All right, and then look at the, the final verse, a few, a few more verses, 29 and 30. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eats and drinks damnation, that word really should be translated judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Okay, so he's not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep or die prematurely. Wow. Something to consider. Ooh. Unworthily participation means we can participate in or partake of weakness, sickness, and premature death. Well, that's the downside. But look at the other side. If I partake of it worthily, by faith, the way he said to do it, what does it promote? Strength. Healing and longevity. Praise God. So, it's important that we recognize that. We don't want to participate in something that's going to have us partake of something that we don't want. Anybody here enjoy weakness, sickness, and premature death? No one? I didn't think so. Who likes strength? Life. Amen. Health. Longevity. So you realize that we can actually partake of that kind of life as we partake of this supper and remember Him. All right. Now, how do I do that? And these, notice He talked about the body. It's recognizing the body. The body of the Lord we recognize literally. The broken body of our Lord. How He took upon Himself, not just on the cross, the Roman lictor, um, the Sanhedrin and the Jews and the high priests, how they abused his physical body, how he went to the Roman lictor and all the stripes upon his back. Then you've got the cross that he bore. You've got the Via Della Rosa as he walked down the road to get to uh, Golgotha. Golgotha, Golgotha. Um, the road to Calvary. And then, of course, the nails, the piercings of his head, with the crown of thorns, and so on. And that's just part of it. But then you would think about on that cross, the Bible says that Jehovah God Himself laid upon Him the stripes by which we are healed. Think about that. It's almost beyond our comprehension that this had to be a part of our redemption. 
in order for him to provide eternal healing, health, and life for us, he had to put all that brought sickness, death, and disease to us on Jesus. He placed on him the iniquity of us all. And it says, We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes that Jehovah placed on him, for it says, Jehovah made him to be sick, we are healed. So he heaped all of this on our Savior, on that tree. He became our sin, our sickness, our mental anguish, our disease, our curse. All that fell on him, literally. It's incomprehensible. But it happened on Calvary. And then, not just literally, but also collectively, corporately, we are the body of Christ and members in particular. And ask yourself this question because really he said, inspect yourself. You do this for yourself. Do your own personal examination of yourself. Do I really appreciate all those that are around me that I worship with? Do I care about what's happening to my brother or my sister in the Lord? Do I give myself in whatever way I possibly can for the benefit of others within the body of Christ? Because you see, the head, Jesus, can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We're members one of another. And when one hurts, we all hurts. When an, we all hurt. When another celebrates, we all celebrate. Right? This is the kind of attitude he says that he wants us to understand why. Because that's the kind of life he lived. And he wants us to live the same kind of life. To live for others. Remember this. God so loved the world that he gave his son. His son so loved us that he gave his life for all of us. And he said, if he did that, then if we love him, then we're to love as he loved us. That means we're to love one another the way he loved us in the body of Christ. Uh, and I understand that's a challenge because, you know, we all have different personalities and that sort of thing. And so it's going to be a, a challenge for all of us to do that. But by faith, we can do that. It doesn't mean we agree with everybody. You could, be disagree, you could disagree without being disagreeable, right? We should forgive as he forgave us. Are you glad he forgave you? Then we should forgive as he forgave us. We should be merciful. Has he shown you mercy? We should be merciful toward other people. Have people wronged you? And he says, turn the other cheek. Well, turn the other cheek because he did. In other words, we follow his example collectively as a church body of believers so those that want pizza over there and those that want lasagna over there and those that want steak stay here in the middle uh-uh doesn't work that way understand we're supposed to love each other the same way no matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whatever we are whether what your gender is your nationality is your race is doesn't matter we love one another as he loved us and then also and this is the biggie as well. This is discerning the Lord's body. Literally his physical body that he robed himself in flesh when he walked on the earth. Collectively his whole body were the whole body of Christ that is around the world. But then thirdly, individually. Individually. You are the body of Christ. You are his dwelling place. Isn't that something when you say that? How can I say that? Now are we the sons of God. Christ is living in you, the hope of glory. Is he not living in you? Then you're the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? 
stop just right there. If that doesn't make you explode on the inside, I don't know what can. You understand what that means? The glory, the Shekinah glory, the third person of deity from above has descended. He has come upon us, entered into us with fire. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God and you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to Him. He owns us. Praise God. So you as an individual are the body of Christ. And we're to conduct ourselves as such. That's honoring Him and recognizing that He lives in us. Okay, let's conclude. Look at the last couple of verses there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For if we would judge our neighbor, no, if we would judge our family members, if we would judge our co-workers, if we would judge the praise team, if we would judge the office staff, if we would judge the keepers of the donuts, if we would judge ourselves, oh, we should not be judged. Hallelujah. Guess what? If we're not being judged, isn't that wonderful? We're not going to be judged. That means we can partake properly and experience the full benefits of the participation. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know, we understand that, that, that God chastens the ones that He loves, but isn't it wonderful to know that we can judge ourselves and not have to be chastened? Isn't that a better road to take? A better path to walk on, wouldn't you say? Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. I heard this one time. I don't know how true it is, how many churches do it. But it was a large congregation, so what they decided to do, just have communion as you walk out the door. They had it back, you know, we're in, like in an narthex area of the church like that, and on the, on the way out, just take your communion with you and go. You miss the whole meaning. The reason why we do this together, because number one, we're all the body of Christ. We first of all honor Him, literally. Secondly, collectively. Thirdly, as an individual. But it helps us to recognize and realize what? That we need one another. And we all have a gift to bring. A life to live of service to the living God. Can you say amen?